Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. There's a connection between cornflakes and masturbation? Oh, yeah. Okay. So there's this, like, huge fear that, like, these cities and this industrialization and all this and, like, this genteel living is providing too much sustenance, I guess, and that fat itself is going to make you less moral and that is going to make you sexually promiscuous. So, yeah, John Kellogg wanted to, like, create bland foods that would keep people from becoming sexually promiscuous and morally corrupt. Uh, <laughs> I love that people are just sexually promiscuous with themselves. Oh, yeah. That, that always makes me happy. <laughs> this is Queers at the End of the World Presents, a feature where we bring you brief introductions to media made by queer and trans creators. And today we're bringing you Juniper Lewis talking about their article, Queer Camping Then and Now, on edgeeffects.net. We figure every time a queer enjoys another queer's media creation, somewhere along the time stream, a cop quits his job. So now, did you go to camp? I actually only very briefly have ever been to camp. And I have to say that as a kid, I always wished to go to a traditional sleepaway camp. Yeah, I can imagine you really jonesing for sleepaway camp. Oh my god, it was my ultimate fantasy. Well, what kind of camp did you actually go to? So there was an opportunity at one point to go to um, a Christian camp run by another homeschooling family, Mm -hmm. proprietors of a sleepaway camp somewhere relatively nearby. And my understanding going into it was that it was just going to be fun and I would get to hang out with some of the the kids I already was friends with through the homeschooling group we were in. But it turned out to be super Christian and really like scarily Christian. And (laughs) I remember at one point um, they had a rock climbing wall and like little Nat was very obsessed with rock climbing walls. And I, I like I would just get anxious with the desire to do things like that. And on the day that we were supposed to do the rock climbing wall, like the level of anxiety and anticipation I had of climbing this wall was so intense and so powerful and so exciting. And I, I was like, we need to get there. We need to do it now. And we got there and they said, before we climb on the wall, we're going to talk a little bit about God and Jesus. (sighs) And they made the rock climbing wall into a metaphor about Christianity and loving God. And I thought at least it was just going to be clawing your way out of the Malibolgia when you end up in hell for being queer. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, you know, and they were saying like, you know, the wall is your life and like, I can't remember if God or the like religious community was supposed to be like the little fake rock handholds that they screw into those walls to allow you to climb up. But I just, you know, I remember trying to climb after that and just feeling like the whole experience had been like deeply polluted. Oh no. <laughs> oh damn dude. <laughs> so that was my experience of camp and You know, I think I've read different things about camp and seen it in movies and so forth and just had this like powerful desire to have that experience, even though as an adult, I understand that the archetype of the camp experience is probably um, a fantasy. And I definitely think 
um, there's an aspect to it that's part of the queer imagination, um, especially when I got the chance to read a few issues of Lumberjanes. Oh, what a gem. Yes. <laughs> that's the camp I want to go to. I mean, okay, so this is going to make you a little bit jealous, but that's sort of the camp I went to. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair, Nina. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fair. It's definitely not fair. Um, but, okay, the thing you're saying about, like, the Christians framing the, like, wall as, like, you know, whatever Christian life metaphor, like, camp is, like, take all these kids, put them in this space, like, have them do basically the same, like, building birdhouses and, you know, and going out in tents and whatever, frame it as, you know, like, God forbid, weight loss or, like, Ugh. Christianity. Or in my case, low-key, it was just, like, what is it? The mascara, the the wonder, the wonder woman, like down. It was just like, it was, it was a girl's camp and it was just like, I don't know, to my little budding queer self, it, it just was like 95% lesbians. And <laughs> that's so great. It was, it was really great. And a lot of butches also. And so I had this like amazing opportunity that I really do kind of think saved my little life to like be surrounded by grown up butches who were like happy and living their lives oh my gosh i'm so glad that you got to have that experience yeah dude camp is where i learned to like make shelters in the woods and chop down trees and i think that's part of why we were so excited to get to talk to juniper lewis who is a writer editor and doctoral candidate in anthropology at uw madison juniper has actually worked on both christian camps and queer camps Juniper also works on constructed environments in video games. And you can find a longer conversation about gender, digital environments, and the doctrine of discovery in the context of Minecraft on our Patreon. We have one of those now. Yeah, we do. All right. Well, we're going to bring you a few minutes of our conversation with Juniper Lewis about the history of camps and queer camping. And just a heads up before we get started, that Juniper's animal companion is in the room with them. So you're going to hear a little bit of puppy snuffling. You just have to imagine, like, wet nose, sweet face, puppy friend. All right, here we go. Well, it's lovely to have you here, Juniper. Thanks for being on the show. We got to find you by reading an essay that you wrote for Edge Effects um, that was about queer camps and the kind of history of queer camping. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and like how camping as an American cultural thing came about? Uh, I would absolutely love to. So camping really came about in the late 19th century. You know, it's the, the industrial revolution is happening. Like the nature of work is changing. Work is no longer just something like you go out into the field and you do manual labor. Uh, it is much more of like women and children and men are in factories all day. Uh, and men, largely, unsurprisingly, I guess, begin to feel threatened by their jobs being taken, so to speak, by women and children. And say, like, especially if women and children are working next to each other, we need to way to make sure that young boys become real men. Mm. And don't become too feminized in the care of these women and these industrial factories. Right. So they turn to camping. It turned to the outdoors as a way to to kind of reconnect to that like idea of masculine virility. So it was this kind of like binary that was created between the city having like all the bad stuff and the and and like the wilderness having all the good stuff. Is that sort of <laughs> totally? I mean, we're decades prior to this. We begin to see people like. Kellogg, 
who are trying to create the most bland food possible in order to keep kids from like masturbating. Like what I'm hearing you say is that there's been from the very beginning, this connection between camping and purity. Totally. Yes. And I think we see this as well when we even historically have looked at like what counts as camping. So when automobiles become popular, car camping begins to become popular. And there's this huge backlash of people are like, you're not really camping if you're in a car. Like that does not count. And we see it today with like clamping of like, oh, is it really camping if you're in like, if you have nice pillows? <laughs> yeah, we actually got into this a little bit in some of the the YA books we were reading to try to get at some of these ideas. And I felt like we saw some different facets of it, like the colonial notion of pure, quote unquote, pure and undisturbed land, mm-hmm. which is a total construct. Oh, yeah. Ugh. And then also this notion of gatekeeping nature and saying mm-hmm. there's real camping and fake camping. And there's a certain group of people that make determinations as to what camping or legitimate experiences of nature are or are not. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's one of the things that I was kind of excited to talk to you about, like queer camping specifically, because like camp as an idea, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, can mean anything from like, quote unquote, hardcore going out into the mountains with your like toothbrush that you've drilled holes in and like, you know, rocks for your pillow and, um, and the stars for your tent, but like, (laughs) to like, you know, your fully lit up RV to like, you know, camp as we know it, like with t-shirts and sing-alongs and to the extent that like queerness is kind of associated with impurity in in many ways like ways that we claim and ways that have been foisted on us like I guess I'm wondering like if you feel like you see that at work in the ways that queers camp (laughs) yeah definitely I you know so much about being queer sometimes is like finding our own way of being and living in a way that feels good and feels loving and caring. As we look at like the history of queer camping, kind of similar to like the the straight history of camping, but queer camping is often an escape. It's an escape from societal pressures that tell you to look and dress and act and sound a certain way. The trees aren't ever going to misgender you. Like it's, it's one, (laughs) you know, camping in nature for so many queer people is just like, I mean, it's not that dissimilar from like other queer spaces of it's this place where you can just be you. You know, we're talking a little bit about like the ways that like wilderness can open up space for play. And it reminds me of this part of your article that I just kind of wanted to like have us sort of say out loud here on the show because it was so interesting and exciting to me, like to hear about this piece of of like queer American history, um, which is that during the Depression, the Civilian Conservation Corps, um, which was like, you know, this the famous like Depression era labor program and Um, It was like groups of men um, who were doing public works projects all over rural America. And they were like, you know, a lot of the trails we use today were built by the CCC. They built canals, they built drainage projects. They did like an entire national soil survey. So all kinds of stuff. But the CCC camps were in some cases apparently really queer. And I just really love knowing that. (laughs) And so I guess I wanted to invite you to kind of like talk about the history a little bit 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one of the things that is so fun is like discovering queerness in the archive of like finding and not just I have this like personal, I guess, as as an academic, um, this like personal disinterest in like this idea. I'm not in the whole idea of like queering things, but if there's not like actual queer people there, then like, I don't know if we should call it queer. But one of the cool things about history is finding like actual queer people who are like there and living and existing. Um, So yeah, in these like CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps camps, like we see cis men who are able to find space to like wear women's clothes and, and enjoy that and feel comfortable in that. And like gay men who are able to like have relationships with other men in a in a more open way. Thinking about like the your podcast in general and like the apocalypse uh, and like the future, it's so reassuring to see queer people in the past because it feels like a promise that there will be queer people in the future. Thanks for listening to Queers at the End of the World Presents. You can find Juniper's article in the show notes or at edgeeffects.net. Our show art is by the fabulous Ellie Yanagasawa, who you can find for your own commission at Ellie the Cosmic Jelly. You can find us at queerworlds.com or at queerworldspodcast on Instagram. And you can join us for our next episode as we talk to poet, librarian, educator, and survivalist Allison Rollins. All right, good luck out there, dear hearts.